Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, we've been doing a detailed study of the flood account recorded in the book of Genesis. In the last program, you stopped at verse 12 of chapter 6, which was a pretty grim picture of the conditions on earth. Yes, Scott. Conditions that brought the Creator to the point of being sorry He had made man on the earth. Now, up to verse 12, the text simply tells us, what things were like on the earth and what God thought about them. And we're also told what the Lord thought about Noah. However, God has not spoken to Noah yet concerning his plans to judge mankind. It's in the next section of verses in Genesis chapter 6 that God tells Noah about what he is going to do and then tells Noah what to do. So let's read verses 11 through 13 and see what the Lord says to Noah. Verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. So notice the behavior that was highlighted was violence. It was violence, certainly by man, but since it says all flesh twice, it seems that the other creatures were involved as well. And as we know, the Lord destroyed not just humans, but all the creatures on the earth. And Dr. Scripture, isn't God also pointing out that he is going to destroy the earth too? I mean, he said, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Mm -hmm. It seems he means his intent is to destroy the earth, which, of course, the flood did. And with the catastrophic results of the world being flooded with water, all the land creatures would be destroyed as well. I think that's a good point, Scott. As a result of the flood, the global flood, the earth, as Noah had known it up to that time, was totally wrecked destroyed, as the New American Standard Bible translates the Hebrew word. And, you know, that's a common word in the Old Testament. Its sense is to ruin or lay waste to something. Here's another example of the word's usage, referring to one of the plagues God sent upon Egypt. In Exodus 8.24, it says, And there came great swarms of insects into the house of Pharaoh and the houses of his servants, and the land was laid waste because of the swarms of insects in all the land of Egypt. Laid waste is such a vivid description. And as a result of the global flood, the earth truly was laid waste. You know, we can only imagine how beautiful the earth must have been before the flood, even though the Lord had cursed the ground so that it didn't yield produce as it had before Adam and Eve sinned, the pre-flood world must have been gorgeous. And still, even now, there are so many places on the earth that are, as you say, gorgeous. <laughs> You're right. What will the earth be like when the Lord puts it back the way it was? It's hard to imagine scenery <laughs> that can top <laughs> places like Yosemite or Glacier National Park or Smoky Mountain National Forest. And those are just places in the United States. But I have a feeling we'll be in awe of what the Lord creates or recreates when he makes all things new again. But getting back to Genesis 6, after the Lord tells Noah that he's going to destroy the earth, he then tells Noah what to do. So Scott, let's read verses 13 through 17 now. Okay, verse 13 again. 
Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms, and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and finish it to a cubit from the top, and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. Scott, did you notice that verse 17 that you just read is the first time God actually mentions how he's going to destroy the earth? Uh, no, I'm not sure I know what you mean. Well, up to this point, he said he was going to destroy the earth, but not how. Now, since we know it's going to be a flood of water, whenever we read that the Lord's plan to destroy the earth is coming, we think of the flood, and we think of the ark as a boat. But it would not have had to have been a boat. On land, it was a huge warehouse. Yeah. But once the Lord told Noah, for the first time in verse 17, that he was bringing the flood of water upon the earth, Noah then would have understood this warehouse was eventually going to have to float. I think covering it with pitch would be a clue that it needed to be waterproof. <laughs> well, yes, that's true. But Scott, that word translated pitch is actually unique in the Bible. You mean that's the only place that word is found in the whole Old Testament? That's right. So it only makes sense that it means some sort of waterproofing substance because of the description. But we don't have any other context to determine exactly what the Hebrew word kofar was. And there's another unusual word in the same verse, gopher. You mean the word gopher? <laughs> Yes, the Hebrew word describing what kind of wood God tells Noah to use is gopher. So our English Bible doesn't really translate it, but just uses the Hebrew word. Yes, and that in part is because like kofer, gopher is a unique word in the Old Testament. So all we know for sure is it was some type of wood, but we really don't have any idea what type. Well, whatever it was, I'll bet it was strong, resilient, and water-resistant. <laughs> I agree. And I think we can be sure Noah knew what it was. Then after God tells Noah what to use, he tells him the dimensions of the boat. And in a word, it is colossal. Hmm. There are different values in the ancient world for a cubit, but it is somewhere between 17 and a half to 20 and a half inches. Now, I think the research Answers in Genesis did in preparation to build the replica of the ark for the ark encounter in Kentucky determined the cubit Noah would have used would have been what's called the royal cubit, which was the longest measurement. If that's the case, the ark was 510 feet long, 85 feet wide, and 51 feet high. And it had three levels. You know, it was basically a three-story building. Correct. Now, we could talk more about the measurements the Lord gives Noah, but since anyone listening actually has the opportunity to see what the ark most probably looked like with their own eyes, we won't discuss the measurements anymore. What I do want to say, though, is how reasonable the dimensions of the ark are, given what it was meant to do. 
carry the animals, the supplies, and Noah's family through the upheaval of a global flood. And when you compare that with the dimensions of the vessels described in the global flood legends of the other cultures of the world that we looked at for several weeks, it is obvious their versions have been distorted and corrupted over the centuries. Those quote-unquote arcs. A number of them being canoes. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Canoes or cubes or boxes. None of them would have withstood the waters of the flood, let alone for a whole year. However, the Lord instructed Noah on just what the ark needed to be to enable them to survive. And not only Noah's family, but representatives of all the different kinds of land animals so they could repopulate the earth after all the other creatures were drowned. So, Scott, let's continue reading the rest of chapter 6, starting at verse 17. And behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. You shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, and of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind, two of every kind shall come to you to keep them alive. And as for you, take for yourself some of all food which is edible, and gather it to yourself, and it shall be for food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. And that ends chapter 6. And what a testimony of the faith of Noah. Now, I've said it before, but I'll say it again. I can't think of a better example of James' statement, faith without works is dead. True. (laughs) Noah could have believed the Lord would send a flood all he wanted. But if Noah had not acted upon the Lord's words and built the ark, he, (laughs) the whole human race for that matter, would have been dead. So, Dr. Scripture, the emphasis you've been consistently making concerning the nature of the flood has been that it was a global flood. Mm -hmm. That same emphasis was even reflected in the title of Charles Martin's book about all the flood legends of the world. The title was Flood Legends, Global Clues of a Common Event. Mm -hmm. And given what we've read in Genesis chapter 6, the global scope of what God is describing seems obvious. And yet, many Christians don't believe it was a global flood, but just some kind of a local flood that would have affected only the area Noah was familiar with. You're right, Scott. And to come to that conclusion requires a person to interpret these statements to mean just some of the earth and the life on it. For example, verse 13, Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Verse 17, I am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. Now, unless you had some reason not to accept the clear, simple meaning of those words, no one would interpret them any other way than that God intends on destroying all flesh on all the earth. So, what could cause Christians to not accept their meaning? They're influenced by the evolutionary worldview so dominant in our culture and in the cultures around the world. I agree. The evolutionary worldview. 
a worldview that is not just scientifically, but philosophically, morally, and spiritually contradictory to Christ's teaching. And yet, its influence is so prevalent in our world, including in the hearts of believers, it has affected the Lord's people and is even commonly exhibited in a large portion of the churches today. Now, I'm not suggesting that it is easy to go against the generally accepted opinion of society. Rejecting an evolutionary worldview is to oppose the majority of academia, the media, and political powers. Is that all? <laughs> it requires one to resist aligning themselves with the most popular you know, world of entertainment and political and social correctness. But what it requires of a believer is a faith in God and in his word that overcomes the pressures of all those different facets of our society. Not a faith that shuts its eyes to reason. You know, we're seeing that the biblical record of the flood is reasonable. But a faith that follows the exhortation of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. And that's not what I say. That's what Scripture says.